Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2021 with the Couchside Judges. If you're like me, you're very happy to be done with 2020. For sure. 2020 has been awful. And uh, But hey, you know, we're moving forward, right? You you should find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And you can find me at Dan Urban MMA. You can also follow the podcast at Couchside Judges. And you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or any other place that you listen. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. And we talk about judging in MMA, so you might as well learn the criteria, which can be found at abcboxing.com. So, Dan, our guest today is E. Spencer Kite, a veteran writer whose work is featured on yossi.com, and he's the author of the Keyboard Kimura Newsletter, a name that I'm sure Dan, uh, the Shogunlock enthusiast, would, uh, would be really proving of, correct? Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to the show, uh, the Couchside Judges, Dan. All right. <laughs> Welcome Thanks, to the Couchside Judges. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, so, you know, obviously, you're a fight fan. You got into this for a reason, right? How did you get into the sport? Um, I, I mean, like, like so many people, right? Like, I'm so I'm 42 now. I remember being, you know, early teenage years discovering. UFC one, UFC two, back in the day of VHS and just yeah. going to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm Canadian. So any Canadians listening to this or Ontario people listening to this will remember jumbo video. I remember going to jumbo video and, and it being there on the shelves. I was a pro wrestling fan growing up, same as a lot of people. So went to see what wrestling movies were out, what was out there, what I could get my hands on and saw this, you know, saw the octagon man standing on the cover of, <laughs> of the UFC tapes and was like, okay, well I got to get this. I got to check this out. I have an older brother. He's two years older than me. We watched it immediately started trying to put each other in guillotines and, you know, (laughs) beat the ever loving life at each other in our basement. And it just grew from there. I mean, I, I stuck around always kind of paying attention for the longest time. Ultimate fighter obviously kicks off and, and sort of reignites it for a lot of people, myself included, brings it back to the fore a little bit. And, and from there it was just, I started, started writing a little bit and was working an all sports site started doing UFC previews and predictions Uh, that turned into, Hey, I want to focus on one sport as opposed to trying to cover all of them and decided, you know, this, this thing feels like it's starting to take off a little bit. It feels like it's starting to get some more momentum. Um, The online landscape was just kind of really starting to flourish and really starting to grow. And so started writing just on a blogger, on a blogger site for myself that got a little bit of attention from a couple of the right people. I got invited to a couple other spots and, you know, 12, 13 years later, here I am still, still doing this stuff. Keyboard warrior over there, right? <laughs> been, been doing it for a long time. It's a grind, man. Anybody that like, it, it, there's, there's lots of perks to it. There's lots of wonderful things about it. But if you're expecting to make a ton of money and it be <laughs> easy, you're kidding yourself. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> this is uh this is not this is not where you go pursuing uh lucrative offers it's very yeah, rare th- this is not for the faint of heart this is not easy it is not quick it is i mean one of my favorite things i i wrote this year i talked to mark hominick and about ufc 129 and he said you know man it felt like a 15 year overnight success and and that kind of sums it up for a lot of us that do this right like you, you suddenly get a break or somebody suddenly notices something you write and they wonder where did this guy come from and it's like i have been here this whole time <laughs> that is a good quote what's uh what's hominic up to these days 
He, uh, along, so along with that original Sean Tompkins team, shout out to the coach, rest in peace as always. Um, they, they all own the Adrenaline Training Center in London, Ontario. So him, Sam Stout, Chris Hordecki, who does still look like he's like 19, 20 years old. <laughs> um, they own and operate that. It's, it's more of a family gym than it is a training facility just for fighters. They've really done a good job sort of opening it up and, and widening it to make it sort of like those karate and taekwondo studios that we all sort of knew in strip malls over the years, bringing a lot of family in, teaching a lot of self-defense and things like that, but also training some fighters out of there as well. Okay, right on. So what we really wanted to talk about with you, of course, is your newsletter and the, you know, you've had this series of 2020 in review uh, on, on the uh, uh, a couple entries here. The bad judging one was the one that called my, you of course labeled it bad judging, which is like uh, immediate, it's like you're putting it in the negative tone, but then you read it and it's a much more measured take on it than I think you typically see, right? Yeah, I'm not a, I mean, there are probably people that have been reading me for years that, that will say I'm always the optimist or I'm always super positive about things. I, I tend to want to find the, like, I'm a guy that looks for the good and stuff. So those cards that everybody goes, oh, this is a terrible card. I can rattle off 10 things that I'm really interested in, but that's because I'm an absolute nerd for this and, <laughs> and little dumb stuff amuses me and intrigues me. And so, yeah, it's it's bad judging, but it's bad judging of just like, let's call it by name and, and identify it as what it is. But here are the problems and here are the possible solutions and here are the things that, you know, we as fans and observers and chroniclers of this sport can do here are some of the misconceptions. Here are some resources to go and find and go and check out that, you know, we we see it every weekend and we see it on Twitter so much of like, this guy got robbed, that, that girl got robbed. This is, I had it this way, I had it that way. Your score's wrong, my score's right. There's so much information that's actually out there that you can go to clarify and like further develop and understand that it felt like a time to just be like, what was the thing that stepped out to me or stood out to me this year? Okay, there were a lot of weird scorecards where I think all of us, and especially you guys, obviously doing a show like this, went, wait a minute, 3027 that way? I, I don't get that. <laughs> Let's talk about this, but but not from just a ragging on Chris Lee and whoever else kind of position, but more from a, here's some resources, here's some experiences I've had, here's some things I think about when I'm kind of sitting at home and doing my couchside judges thing. Of course, of course, Yeah. And I think it's really great that you brought up some of those resources that you were talking about in your uh, in your piece there. You know, you you reference people, of course, to follow, you know, Sean Sheehan, who obviously was one of the very first people who was really pushing for this type of education from a media perspective. Uh, and and then, of course, Ben Cartledge, one of the best judges that we really have in the world, who's one of the few who's actually on Twitter. And, you know, you can actually interact with him in, in some way, you know. Yeah, Ben will Ben will engage with you, and and that to me is and look, I don't I don't by no means do I think that all officials and all judges or anything need to respond to people, need to get in their mentions and things like that. But it really is helpful to have a resource like Ben and and have a resource like Sean that get together. They have a relationship. They can sit down and and the two podcasts that I included there to me were great. They're about an hour, hour and a half long each. They go over some of the different fights that had happened recently, and they went through. I think the second episode is from one of the Fight Island shows. Ben was obviously yeah, over yeah, it was there. the Fight Island one. 
And so to have an official and a, and a journalist like Sean, who really understands it, is really passionate about judging, go through kind of bit by bit and break down some of these fights is such a tremendous insight that a lot of people don't get. And, and for me, it's, you know, it, it adds to the knowledge base I already have. It reminds me of some of the things that maybe I've let slip or some of the things that I think when I'm sitting watching fights. So I think for me that kicking off that piece and, and leading off that piece with, before we get into me, here's some other very smart people to listen to <laughs> and talk to and, and get information from is really important because, and, and I included the thing Sean said to me when we were tweeting back and forth about it, of if that understanding was there, there wouldn't be as much drama as there is. And I think that's, I mean, that applies to literally everything in life. The more you know, those old, you know, NBC, oh, yeah. <laughs> NBC commercials with the star Which still lives as a good shooting meme. across. Yeah, that's right. And so that was sort of the impetus of it. So yeah, it's, it's titled Bad Judging, but it's about like fixing bad judging. The one thing that I think you may have missed uh, over that is uh, one of the things that's kind of causing a misinterpretation in that. And we've talked about it on the show before is the fact that even the commentators are not very well educated on it. So they're spreading misinformation. All the time. Yeah. And, and I think I've mentioned it. I touched on it a little bit. You're right. I didn't, I didn't go into it hard because to me, that's one of those, you know, I, I'm not somebody that's going to go super hard at these guys. I think I touched on it with the, with the Jerron win fight and Bisping correcting kind of DC. In which which in itself was hilarious because which was amazing. all the way out there. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I think you're a hundred percent right that that is one of the biggest issues because we all listen to the broadcasts and when you don't, you know, you expect those people to be experts and you expect those people to be fully aware of what's going on. And so when there's stuff coming out that, that makes yourselves or myself or Sean sit there on Twitter and be like, that's wrong. Stop. <laughs> and like the stats one are the ones that always kill me of like mm -hmm. oh, yeah. this many significant strikes through this point. It's like, I, I don't care. Yeah. There's two minutes gone in this round. What have they done in this round? That's all that matters. So you're absolutely right. That is that is very much a key point for people to to be aware of that as much as these men and women that are on these broadcasts are sharp, they are smart, they are informative, they're not always right. It, yeah. it sometimes, you know, it's something that I I say sometimes and I think you probably agree Dan is like kind of stay in your lane to a degree. Like someone like Dominic Cruz for example who is really excellent at breaking down technique and what's going on in the cage and that kind of thing. He has a real knack for that and, and his voice is so welcome, but then he'll be like, well, they got to cement this round by getting a takedown. And it's like, Oh, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And drive us nuts. Yeah. And the one, one thing I think they can do better is, is present it as uh, the criteria when in the beginning of the show, they're like, Oh, they're we're judging uh fights are scored based on effective striking, grappling and uh, aggression and octagon control. They don't, you know, break it down. That aggression is secondary and octagon control is tertiary. And they, John Anik has definitely gotten better with that in recent years, but I feel like it's almost too ingrained for everybody who's been watching for so long that it's just like, it's stuck. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I mean, really, I think some of that is, is why we do have this judging problem as a whole, right? Some of these officials are, are people that have been doing it for so long that they're just, they, you know, remember the old, before the, I think it was 2017 that they updated the, the unified yeah, like, rules. Yeah, like mid-2016, 2017 is when it kind of started getting taken And so, over, yeah. you know, the push to have or the the recommendation to be a little more loose with 10-8s 
has it really sunk in because there were 10, 12, 15 years of, of just giving 10 nines of that being mm-hmm. literally the only score people turned in More unless, or less. It yeah, was, yeah. unless it was absolutely dominant and somebody just didn't just managed to not get finished. And so mm. I think those things and what you're saying about and what Dan's saying about, you know, effective grappling and striking are this category unto themselves. They are the most important thing we're watching for. And then if you don't find a differentiation between those two, then you can start looking at some of these other things. And that would absolutely kind of clarify it a little more for people. Well, the one thing I would say to counter you about kind of the idea of the 10 eights and that kind of thing, and maybe stuck being people, people being maybe stuck in old ways is I know that especially this year in particular, uh, Mark Ramundi of ESPN has written about this, but you know, in our conversations too, the judges, especially some of these like top traveling judges who are the ones mostly working fight Island, as well as um, UFC apex events, these guys are talking all the time and watching fights over and over and over again to be like, can we get on the same page about where we, we kind of see a 10, eight here. And I know that's something that there is a concerted effort about, which you just don't hear about really, because I mean, who would know that they're doing it, you know, right. on their free time and they're people that are, they try to live anonymously. Yeah. It's, it's good to hear. And I know Ben talked about it on, on the podcast with Sean about fight Island of, of them all getting down in a room together or, or on a call together and just, one of them would pull up a fight and be like, here we go. Okay. How yep. to score it. And those are the things that we need. And those are the things that, you know, we need to talk about more. Um, we fixate so much on all of these bad scorecards, but very seldom do we sit there and go, wait, this is the exact right scorecard. Mm-hmm. Th- this person presented the 100% correct scorecard. And it's great that they scored this person that way, or they scored this frame that way. Like I loved when Julian Robertson got the first round of her last fight with Tyler Santos from working off her back. I mean, yeah, you can, but on, on you only can, one judge's you, card though. On only one judge's card. And and for sure you can quibble about who deserves it. Cause it's not like Tyler Santos did nothing from top position, sure. but I sat there and was like, Hey, somebody sweet. They're, they're recognizing mm-hmm. activity over position. And that's sort of the thing we bang on about forever, but don't often say, Hey, they got it right. So that's the other thing I want to try to do a little more of next year is just, you know, when there are cards that I like, instead of just pointing out those ones that are atrocious and deserve somebody to be removed from the building. Let's also, I want to try to mention the ones where it's like, Hey, this guy got it right. Or this woman got it right. And that's what, that's what we try to do on here too. We, we definitely, we, we, what we do with our show every week is we go over the previous event and we'll just break down the rounds where judges disagreed, like every single one. Sometimes we don't spend much time on. Sometimes we'll go into great depth. If there was something like RDA against uh, Paul Felder, that was a different round. Uh, but then we do try to highlight at the very end. We're always like, this is ones that all the judges got right. And actually in the past, the last event of the year, it was a ton of 29, 28s. And every, like whenever there was a round where, you know, the other person got one round and the other one got two all three judges were seeing it the same way, which is so rare where you had that. So we definitely wanted to highlight that too. And I like that you're, you're looking to do stuff like that too. Yeah. I mean, you've just made it clear that I have to add another podcast to my collection of, of <laughs> weekly listens. So you can count another subscriber coming as soon as this is done. Well, I, like that. You. <laughs> I think it's key, right? Like there's so much stuff that we can get. And, and maybe that goes back to the people always thinking I'm being super positive, but there's so much stuff that we are negative about and so much stuff that we are down about and so much bad news that we get hit with on a daily basis of fight cancellations or injuries or what have you that 
finding those positive moments and being like, look, there were still these really good things amongst either this chaotic card or all of these cancellations or these terrible scorecards that we need to point out and remember because it's it's not all bad. Absolutely. And and to go a little deeper into uh, just to even hit some of the bullet points that you had in your bad judging piece, you know, you, you you broke it down, I think, in really interesting way. You know, you had judging consistency, you know, not all takedowns being equal, that kind of thing. The judging consistency thing one, I thought that was an interesting one because it's it's a topic that if you're sitting at home, because most of the time we don't hear the judges names, it gets very hard to know where the consistency or inconsistency comes from, because it's like, which judge is giving the score? You have to like, you have to go to UFC News Twitter account where right. they share it. And they didn't even used to do that. That only happened this year. So it used to be very hard to dig up these scores. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really nice that you did highlight the fact that consistency can be a thing that throws people off the scent of what is good and what is bad judging. Yeah, the the spreadsheet super nerd of me and and I'm a guy that will break stuff. Like I'm going to keep I keep track every year of like finishes and submissions and fights in each division so I you should see my spreadsheet Spencer. Okay, so we probably have a lot to talk about off there at some point. <laughs> I will most likely this year build out a spreadsheet of like scorecards and who's given what kind of doing my own version of, of MMA decisions.com shout out to them. A very helpful, wonderful resource for all of Chris us. McMasters does great work with that. Yeah. Because like you're saying, those things are key. So like we all now know that Chris Lee is historically bad and usually a dissenting voice because he always kind of turns up in these instances and we see these cards, but there's so many times that, as you're saying, we hear these scores and, and we know instinctively that there's a 10, eight in there and we're not sure why, or it feels weird or whatever the case may be, but we don't know who it is. And so understanding that on an event to event and month to month and, and then annual, annual basis is key for kind of understanding where some of these inconsistencies come from. You know, it's interesting you bring up Chris Lee because obviously, yes, he's come under great fire in the last, basically the last like six weeks of the year. It, it, it really you didn't hear much about him until the rda felder fight where he turned in again that 48 47 which you know just a real quick breakdown when we when we went over that fight on our show dan and i we thought round three was really the one that was like it just doesn't make any sense the right. other two we actually kind of saw like how he'd get there yeah i mean there's there's a couple rounds that are certainly close and anybody that says oh it was obvious like you know the key thing that i think i try to tweet it out before any really close fight is like, let's hold off on the robbery talk. <laughs> yeah, close close robbery. fights yes. happen. Uh, there are many, many instances where these are close fights and I can understand the 29-28 the other way or the 10-9 going either side. But, but yeah, there were a couple rounds in there where it felt like that one doesn't make sense. And, and to me, when the athletes themselves come out and say, hey, I didn't win that fight. I don't know what that scorecard was. Is <laughs> sort of like the grand indicator, right? Because we all know that most of these men and women, and I make jokes about it with all these different fighters at different times, right? There's some of them that have been in so many of these split decisions that it's like, you're getting ready to see the insert fighter X. How did I lose that fight face? And it happens. And so on those, on those occasions where like Felder can come out or, or Guram Kutaladze earlier in the year where it's just like, hey, look, I'm happy to get the W, but I didn't win that third round. Those are those moments where it's like, okay, we need to we need to look at this closer. Well, the funny thing is most people actually thought that Kuta Taladze won the fight anyway. <laughs> it, right? And it's just such a weird fight. And, and that one to me wasn't nearly as bad. And 
because it is a three round fight, it's a close fight. Like three round fight versus five round fight is such a different organism. It's such a different dynamic. It was a close fight. The Felder one to and me is the one that, too. yeah. And the Felder one to me is the one that really stood out because there was sure. no point in watching that fight where I felt, okay, he he's done enough here to win three rounds. Sure. Yeah. I, I would agree there, but to very specifically, uh, because you love spreadsheets, I can tell you, I've basically done what you're aspiring to do. So nice. I will leave it. I will leave it to you later. And I can even, even share this with you. So you can just All kind right. of see what we've got going on. But anyway, Sweet. on this, I've done some analysis on the year and I'm going to do a show on, on kind of my data analysis with Dan uh, later in the year, probably at some point before the UFC starts up again. But if you look at kind of the overall times where judges dissent, right? Where they're in the minority. That's what we call it dissent anyway. I don't know if that's what they call it, but that's what I call it. So in this instance, if you looked at Chris Lee from January all the way through the beginning of November, like the first week of November, his percentage of the time where he's the dissenting judge in a round, and that's every single round, not just decision. Right. It's totally normal, totally normal for like a top judge. But then if you look at it, just in the last few weeks, it's just awful. It obviously <laughs> has been in just, uh, some sort of funk or rut or who knows what it is. I mean, these people are human. Yeah. So you always remember that. But it's funny because there's just so much heat that he's gotten. But he was also <laughs> the one who saw Angela Hill beating Michelle Waterson. And everyone forgets about that. That's like one of the ones you could highlight as like, hey, maybe that was good judging from him. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate how – and I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's awesome analysis. And that's awesome information to have, right? Because it's one, we're all human. We all have ups and downs and, you know, hot streaks and cold streaks. It can come down to stuff that we don't even, again, it, it, there's so much that goes into this and the, the fights themselves. Like we all sit at home or many of us sit at home and, and watch these fights where we're getting the camera cuts to the best angle at all times. If you've ever sat cage side for a fight, and I'm not even talking like media row where you're that little bit back. And so there's a little bit different. You can look up at a screen pretty easily. If you've ever sat in a judge's, judge's chair or right alongside of, alongside of a cage where the officials sit, there are so many obstructed views. There are so many angles mm -hmm. where you don't actually see what's happening. And all you can understand is you can see some of the body mechanics and then the crowd pops and it's like, you think that punch landed and we're watching it at home. Like, why are they going crazy? You missed by a mile. It's so weird. And it's, it's so cool that you've done that math. I appreciate that you've done it and it saves me from doing it. So yes, please share it with me. <laughs> I look forward to reading it and, and discussing it with you throughout the year. Absolutely. But it's true. Like to have a judge like that, that has suddenly for whatever reason had some inconsistencies, but also come under great fire for it is tough because there have been bad judges before him. There will be bad judges after him or bad stretches from judges. I shouldn't even say bad judges. Yeah. There'll be bad stretches for judges after him. There have been before him. And it's just right now is, is he's the guy in the center of the storm. So let me ask you just out of curiosity, who, cause you obviously have at least a minor interest in this, you know, if it's, you have, you cover a lot of the sport, but if you were to say the judge that if they were sitting in the chair and you heard their name announced for the title fight, Who's the one you feel like most comfortable with giving a score? Ooh, that's, there's a, the funny thing is, is that there's probably a lot. Like, right. Enough, I mean, every judge has, has had those one or two cards that, that we remember their name and we go, wait, that doesn't, that one, I think I remember something bad, but like for the most part, 
you could give me just, you know, like keep Douglas Crosby away from me. <laughs> um, right now, Chris Lee and his cold streak, we can, we could do without that. The ones that, you know, for the most part, it's, it's been outliers that, that have those really funky cards that we all go, okay, what the hell? It's, it's the local official when the UFC goes to Edmonton or comes out to Vancouver or something like that. Or anywhere in Texas. Or anywhere in Texas and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, Joe Solis, shout out. Um, But for the most part, like, you could give me a lot of the European guys. You could give, like, like Ben Cartledge, as we were talking about earlier. And there's so many of the staple people that the UFC has been using, especially this year with all the events at the Apex, that for the most part, I'm, I would be comfortable with most people because I really do have faith that in most instances they're going to do their best. And, and those, you know, I'm, I'm fairly moderate. I'm fairly even in terms of my, like, I don't get too worked up in the, Oh my God, this was a robbery. They were, yeah, yeah. you know, like you sit and watch it differently and you watch it a couple times back and you turn off your, you know, secondary devices and you mute the commentary and you're looking at it just for what you're looking at. And, and lots of times you can see where those cards came from. So yeah. I don't have anybody specific. Do you guys? Are there people that you're like, this is my A1 or this is my get rid of him? Well, we did just do a an end of the year, uh, like where we handed out awards. Uh, nice. We called them the judges. We made it up on the fly. It was <laughs> like literally we didn't have a name for it when we started the show. And then we we're like, oh, let's just call it the judges. And Dan and I, we both agreed, right? It was, uh... I did a little reflection. We both agreed that it was Sal D'Amato would be our top judge. We'd be feel most comfortable if we were fighting. But I, I've thought about it, and I think Mike Bell would be my guy now because I know I'd I'd be able to get a ten eight, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he, we we do. Like anecdotally, this is not actually based on the data, but it does seem like he gives out more ten eights than other judges. Uh, I mean, that's a guy you definitely want on your side, then. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good because we do. There's a there's an official for you who definitely is more willing to give out ten eights than maybe some other right. officials had been. So, um, yeah, I mean, someone like him, uh, Saldamato, I think again is, is has. Especially this year, I think we've gotten we've gotten very spoiled this year is the funny thing because we've had mostly these traveling judges that, you know, they'll go to different states. They're often right. in Nevada, but they're not always all together. You know, at the beginning of the year, in our earlier shows, we were talking about fights that were in New Mexico and Virginia. And these, I mean, look, no offense to the hardworking officials there, but when you had the local judges on there, it was more often much more messy than when we have these traveling judges who will work, you know, 20 to 30, you know, UFCs a year. That's a lot. You get a lot of experience with the high end. Yeah, it's been really good. And I mean, I think we're seeing that with, with referees as well in terms of, you know, bringing over a crew of officials for the fight Island trips, rely on a steady stream for, for one or two events in Las Vegas, then rotating somebody out and bringing someone new in. And it's, it's all of those top tier officials, both in the cage and outside of the cage. So you're right. It's funny. That was, that was kind of one of the jump off points for, for the piece for me was, was talking with Sean about it. And, and one of the things he said was, you know, there've been, there's absolutely been some terrible scorecards. And I think we can all point where we all remember, like there have been some ones where we're like, what the heck was that? But for the most part, there weren't any really terrible decisions. There were obviously decisions we all want to debate and argue about and go back and watch. And that's part of the two fun. Two or three times. And that's part of the fun. And that's just the nature of the beast. That's why I tweet out the not all close decisions are robberies. 
let's mm -hmm. reserve that word for when it really means something and it really counts Ross Pearson, Diego Sanchez. Um, and, and other than that, it's, it's just been a, I mean, for all the craziness of this year and all the stuff that we lost, that we missed out on that didn't happen. It's been a really great year in the UFC. Like it's, it's been really good. If you sit back and look at it from a, like set aside the stuff that we lost and not wanting to just be, grumpy about not seeing tony ferguson and, and khabib for the seventh time <laughs> we got a lot of really great fights we got a lot of really great close. performances i mean it's it's done that's the other i thing. know it's I know. done we need to just like khabib is retired we need to let that man just not have to reiterate it every every 10 days i agree I agree, but you know what? One one more point I wanted to bring out from your from your bad judging piece. I was calling it the bad judging piece, which is not really. It's so, it's so ironic. Um, good good clickbait. <laughs> but the uh, but the the tips for the home judges, I think, is something that was really great that you included because it's something that really needs to get hammered home for people who do sit there and think they're scoring at home and and think they're scoring. Why don't you just very quickly just kind of run down, you know, just off the top of your head, which ones you remember? <laughs> um, here, here's the sad thing is that I remember them. So the first one for me is always just, you know, no disrespect to the people calling the fights, but mute the broadcast because it, it absolutely changes the way that you're looking at the action and the way that you're understanding what's happening. Um, obvious ones like put away secondary devices, compare your scores with the ones submitted to, to MMA decisions, as we mentioned, such a valuable resource. Um, I record a lot of events, especially being in Canada. I don't have access to ESPN Plus. Oh, so that's anything terrible. anything that airs directly on ESPN, I can't get at. And so my PVR, my DVR is is full of like UFC events that have been on TSN, um, and then various terrible movies and, and shows <laughs> that I want to watch over and over. Um, and then the other stuff is is just simple thing, simple things, but things that aren't necessarily available to everybody. So take a judging course, get certified and go judge local fights, go out to local fights. It's, it's not in there, but even just go out and watch local fights and, mm -hmm. and try to score them at home. And if you're able to build a relationship with an official in your area, talk to them, pick their brain. Like it's so valuable for me. And that's why the first thing I talked about was, was taking the command course. That is, that was such a valuable experience, both from the education side of things but getting to know a lot of the officials that work this area and that come through Vancouver and that score fights and judge fights and referee fights out here. So that when I go to local shows, I know some of these people, I still have friendships and relationships and conversations with them about fights from time to time. It was, you know, John McCarthy, a tremendous resource for me throughout my career. Jaron Vallel, who now does a bunch of UFC fights as well, was his sort of is his co-pilot on a lot of them. I don't know if it, he still is, but he was when I learned it. That was my um, understanding, yeah. Yeah, when I went through it. And so having those kinds of resources that if you really are interested in this stuff, and it's the same as Sean and Ben, right? Sean's super interested. Build that relationship. Have that soundboard. Have that person you can communicate with. And so if you really do, like the three of us and many others, pay attention to this stuff and want to talk about this stuff and get better at this stuff, those are just some of the like key things you can do. But you know, going back and watching it with the sound off with no distractions is the biggest one. Absolutely. Did I was signed up to do the command course this year and then uh, Corona came. So <laughs> it got canceled. What, what was the toughest part of the course for you? Um, so 
introductions day one, like as you first sit down and put your little placard up was, was tough because I was the only journalist and had to declare myself as a journalist right out of the gate. And Big John being the wonderful man, but also joker pain in the ass that he can be was like, <laughs> okay, everybody get a good look at him. Nobody talk to him. <laughs> He is the absolute enemy. He will ruin your life. (laughs) And I mean, this is in a room of people that have been working together for a number of years, right? Local officials that are all friends. This is people that came over with other people that they know. And I'm just this guy seated against the wall, new to the area still. I think we had only lived here for maybe a year and a half. So pretty fresh into it and just getting crushed right out of the gate. But the hardest thing for me, um, not to give it, all the way, not to give away all of his trade secrets and stuff, but you go through and it, it's testing. And so it's not just pass fail, it's 80% and above. And so it's educate, it's going through and having those nerves as you're doing some of these tests and, you know, two days of intense information and, and trying to remember all the stuff that's being put to you. And the last test is, is scoring a fight. It's mm. just sitting there and scoring a fight and watching it and turning in your scorecards and then they send you on a break while they total up all your scores and, and do all the grading. And you sit there and you talk to the other people you're with and how did you score that fight? And there was a point for my year or, or for my session where John said, look, you have to get this fight right in order to pass. If you give us the wrong score, we can't pass you. And so we go out to have dinner and I talk to everybody and find out I get a round. I think I had a round different than a bunch of people. And so just instant, instantly deflated Sure. Instantly get brought in, sit down with John. We go over the fight and I'm just, and I'm crushed, right? Like I'm just, I want to pass this thing. I don't like failing. None of us do. Mm -hmm. We don't like being wrong and we're going through it. And he's, you know, he's got that somber tone and he's got that. So I understand why. And I see why. And I was like, all right. And he's like, but it all makes sense. So you're good. And I was like, you're just such a, right? You set us up with this big, like, you got to get it right. You got to, he's like, no, why do you think it called you in here? You can explain why you scored it the way you did. And you see now where you made your mistakes. So you're fine. Congratulations. I was like, I, I hate you. I really do hate you right now. I'm going to tell every, I think I wrote a story about it and, and put that in there and sent it to him. And was like, you're an asshole. Thank you. But you're an asshole. Um, so, so that's it, man. It, it is intense. It's, it's not easy, but it is such a valuable thing that I, I hope the world gets back to somewhat normal or they figure out some way to do it as we're doing this now on, on video that, that you can go through it because it so, it's so insightful and so important for people to learn. Yeah. So I was most concerned about the technique portion just because I figured he might call a move that I know something different. I may know it as something different, but now it makes it seems like it's it's more intense than uh, I anticipated it was going to be. Uh, the other portions. I mean, I, the the judging a fight part. I think that more than anything for me, it was just being in my own head. I'm a very analytical. Okay. I'm a very kind of you know. I like I said, I don't want to get stuff wrong. I want to get mm-hmm. stuff. I'm I'm a keen. Get all that I'm, money. You want to pass. I yeah, well, there's that too. I don't want to go back <laughs> to my wife and be like, so that weekend I spent away that cost me this much money. Uh, didn't pass. Gotta do it again. Um, but like the 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 move set stuff and the technique stuff throughout 
we had different people that would say, oh, well, I know it as this and I know it as that. Okay. And Jaron and John were really quick just to be like, yep, these are other names for it. These are other setups. Okay. And we had guys that were wanting to get into like, oh, well, I saw it from this setup and start remembering everything. Mm-hmm. And John and Jaron were just real quick to be like, yeah, cool. We've all seen that fight. We've got a lot <laughs> to get through. Five different names you could call it. This is what we're calling it for here. But if you know it by something else, that's okay. Don't, okay. don't necessarily sweat that. Okay. That's good to know. And the rest of it, I mean, you're doing a you're doing a judging show. You're doing mm-hmm. a judging podcast. Yeah. You're gonna know this stuff. You're gonna be in, right. in good shape. And and if there's a if it does come up and there's anything you want to bounce off me, you've got the info. Hit me up and awesome. we can we can chat. Thanks. We've also had the good fortune of of having on our show Rob Hines, who does yeah. uh, a training program, uh, as well as Kevin McDonald. Uh, so, and, and, you know, we speak with other judges as well off camera and, and we leave their names out, but yeah, it's, it's really nice to have, I think Dan and I have come even a long way in our knowledge of how judging works just in probably the last seven months. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's right. That's why knowledge is power is the first one in that piece is just the more, the more, you know, the more you can absorb, the more you can get clarification of your thoughts. I mean, there would be events and there would be times where I would send John a text and just be like, Hey, this is what I saw. This is how I had it. Am I looking at it right? What am I missing? What? And, and we would have those conversations. And so for you guys to have those resources for anybody that wants to do this and wants to better their understanding of what they're watching and how these fights are actually being scored or the correct way to score these fights. It's so valuable. That's awesome. I'm glad you really shared that because, again, Dan obviously wanted to take it. I've wanted to take the course, too, for many years. I think Dan and I have probably been talking about it since we met in jujitsu eight years ago, <laughs> uh, eight or nine years ago. How long has it been? But, uh, been yeah, and obviously we haven't gotten around to it. He was going to do it. One day I'll do it, too. But, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I mean, like I said, it's it's one of those things that there's so many – you know, I don't, I don't run around. It's not in my Twitter bio. It's not one of those things that I throw on the table all the time of like, well, I took command and John McCarthy <laughs> said I knew what I, <laughs> right? Like it was almost a decade ago now that I took it. But whenever I do talk about judging, it is a thing that I want to put out there because, and I mean, this is no disrespect to anybody that hasn't taken these courses or anybody else that voices an opinion on judging, but it just changes your understanding. And it's like you were saying about the, the broadcasters and the analysts during the event. There's so much incorrect information or just incorrect mindset that when you learn the right stuff and you learn sort of what actual officials, what actual judges are being taught and to look for and to pay attention to and to value, it absolutely shifts the way you're you're watching fights and understanding fights. Yeah, I that's obviously that's what we try to do on this show is kind of promote that idea too. So I'm glad that there are more people like us and we know there are more people like us out there kind of trying to spread that, that word out there. But I love, I love your positivity too. (laughs) Well, it is, it is getting better. And that was another thing that Sean and I were talking about as we were sort of sending information back and forth. And, and I was picking his brain about some things is that it is getting better. We see that. I'm sure you see that in your spreadsheets that there's fewer and fewer dissenting opinions that there are, as you were saying, more of those 29-28s where all three judges have all the rounds scored the same way. We're not getting as many of these, you know, split decisions with 30-27s on either side and a 29-28 in the middle deciding it. It is getting better. And so to all of that, you know, negativity and, and easiness of being angry about everything that we can, we can get to, it is getting better. The information is out there. 
the opportunities to learn and educate yourself are out there and, and more and more people taking those opportunities is, is only going to make this sport and our commentary about this sport and our coverage of this sport that much greater. I think you're right. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I think that's all we had for the uh, the judging and the MMA topic. But real quick, like I said uh, <laughs> for the show, you're going to be joining us for what we call movie judgment. And this segment is something we just added recently when I realized that Dan has missed a billion movies over the years that I have watched. <laughs> I'm like, why haven't you watched this? It drove me nuts. Like he, he hasn't watched Indiana Jones, by the way. That's I mean, not what we're talking about. But I mean, come on. Okay. It's, yeah. It's, I mean. One day. I've seen it, the Disney live action thing. <laughs> not <the same. laughs> yeah not not the same harrison ford in his in his heyday at his swaggery best yeah it's a it's a must watch i made my wife watch the entire like collection except for the shia labeouf one except for uh. crystal skull uh during this year i think pre pre-pandemic which was weird about it but yeah i made her sit down and watch all of them so i, I did that a while so, back with my wife when we were starting a date too yeah, yeah. But the, the movie we have today actually is, again, I know you've watched this one because I believe you and I have interacted with uh, about it, Snatch. Oh, yeah, God, absolutely. Yeah. I, think you and I, I think you and I had the two minutes Turkish, Turkish or how long? Yeah, yeah. How long of them sausages, Charlie? Yeah. A, uh, an two minutes, absolute, one minutes ago. That's right. If you like capers, if you like kind of British pulp fiction style smash around to a bunch of different stories that all end up weaving together. It is an absolute must. It is Guy Ritchie. It is at his apex, pre-Madonna, pre-Hollywood, just making gangster flicks. It's it's terrific. And I agree. But now let's hear what Dan thinks, who just watched it for the first time. What do you say, sir? I didn't like it. What is wrong with <laughs> uh, it? made me chuckle a few times. I thought the, uh, the incompetent robbers were pretty funny. Uh, Brad, All right. Brad Pitt was okay. Uh, I liked cousin what? cousin Avi. No, no, no. We can't Uncle brush Avi. past that. Brad Pitt was amazing. <laughs> Uncle Avi or cousin Avi? What was that guy's uh, character? Avi, yeah. Avi, he was probably my favorite of the thing. Uh, well, I watch it again. Probably not. Uh, I didn't. It, it just bounced around too much. I didn't really. It's like, all right, there's so much going on. What, what's happening? There's so many amazing characters though. <laughs> Bullet Tooth Tony. Boris the Blade, Bullet the board, Bullet Dodger. Eh, I don't know. Uh, uh, but how we score fights, 10-10 would be the best score. 10-7 would be the worst. Uh, I went with 10-8. So not a great not a great movie for didn't, you. Didn't, didn't hold But going into it, I told you I didn't like uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Loaded Barrels or, or whatever that Two one was Two Smoking Barrels, yeah. So, and you told me it was similar to that. So. I think Snatch is better. What do you think, uh, Spencer? Oh, uh, Lockstock holds a real special place. It was one of my, uh, this is going to date me. It was one of my university movies that was sort of on in the background all the time with me and, and my friends and the guys that I lived with. So it's, uh, it's got a special place, that soundtrack, that whole, the whole bit of it. Um, in terms of like overall entertainment though, Snatch is probably better. I was going to say as, as the new guy to this conversation, I think it's always important to know kind of what movies do resonate. And so if you're not a gangster fan, if you're not a British movie fan, I can understand where this doesn't necessarily hit the mark. But I, I also do the like, man, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're way too measured about this. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to come on your I'll show you. and, and call him on the carpet. I mean, you could. I, mean, I wouldn't mind. I just won't have you back. That's no, right. he can do it. Like, no, that guy's never coming back on. <laughs> <laughs> he insulted my movie tastes. 
Well, they, they're they're worthy of it today. <laughs> it just wasn't for uh, me. Nothing but love, Dan. Just wasn't just wasn't for me. No, that's fair. I understand. Yeah, he. It's a uh, real quick. We had watched. Uh, I had him watch the Matrix and Inception, which he hadn't watched, and he liked both of those, right? All right. All yeah, right. those are those. I would watch again. Yeah. See, and I'm sure there's going to be people that listen to this and that like dislike Chris Nolan that are like, really, you didn't like Snatch, but you liked Inception. So <laughs> it's right. Everybody's well, everything hits differently for everybody. It has a great Thanks Rotten Tomatoes time. rating, right? What's that? Snatch is up there on Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty high. Got a pretty, I bet it pretty is because it's awesome. And you're in the minority. <laughs> the dissenting judge. That's you right. are the dissenting judge on this one. Yeah. <laughs> this split decision win for uh, for Snatch. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And that's how it means that's the end of this one from the Couchside Judges. Thank you so much to E. Spencer Kite for joining us. Uh, you should all subscribe to his newsletter, the Keyboard Kimura newsletter, uh, which you can find at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E dot Substack dot com. Dan, I had a great time talking to him. Yeah, great guy. Uh, I'd be excited to have him again. Absolutely. I mean, he sounds like he'd be up for it any time, right? We'll, uh, we'll have to figure it out again. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening.